For our scripture reading, we turn to the book of Acts, starting at Acts 20, verse 22. Acts 20, starting at verse 22. Paul, as he, Paul speaks here to the, to the elders. He sent for the elders of Ephesus, which were some miles away and traveled some miles, whether it be 30, 30 plus miles, traveled to where Paul was. And uh, Paul was speaking to them. Uh, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And we pick up at verse 22. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I've coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coos, 
and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patera, and finding a ship sailing unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlade her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when, we would not be when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. So far, we read from the Holy Scriptures this morning. What we just read and the rest of Scripture are the basis for the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 49. There we read, which is the third petition. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will, which is only good. And so everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray this petition, thy will be done. 
We read of the saints who, when speaking to Paul, said, the will of the Lord be done. In our life, there are many things that take place that are not what we would desire. In our life, there is much suffering. And there are times where we anticipate suffering, as was the case with the Apostle Paul. That he heard that there were bonds, there were afflictions that were going to be, that he was going to experience when he got to Jerusalem. And they were kept telling him that. As he went from place to place, he kept hearing about what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem, so that his mind was constantly directing to the suffering that was coming. And yet he was confident, he was confident that it was the will of God that he go forward. He was confident that he should continue to do what he was doing, even though it meant that there would be suffering, even though there was opposition. He desired grace. He certainly must have been continuing to pray to God for grace. To be ruled by the Spirit of God and to be submissive to the will of God. And that is our prayer. That is our desire. Whatever our situation may be, and in times of suffering, in times of difficulty, that our prayer is, Thy will be done. To be submissive to the will of God. With our mind on. Our thankfulness to God and our desire to glorify him. And that we are not. We're not our own. You know the theme of the Heidelberg Catechism runs through the catechism. That theme that we're not our own. We belong to our Savior. And we have that in mind when we talk about the sufferings and death of Christ. That he is, he's, he's redeemed us. He has atoned. He's paid the ransom. He's set us free. We're washed in his blood. His righteousness is ours. We think of how we're not our own when we talk about the work of the spirit within us that delivers us from bondage conforms us to the image of to God's son the comfort that we have knowing that we shall forever be with God and no one can separate us from him we also think on that same theme that we're not our own when we contemplate what we're called to do and our going forward each week and our desire, the will of the Lord be done. Grant me the grace to remember that I'm not my own and that I live unto my Savior, that I renounce my own will. Without murmuring, I submit to God's, the God whom I love, that as I get up each day, I remember I'm not my own, 
I belong to my Savior. He's my Lord. And I desire to live unto him. Even if that means suffering. Even if that means that today there is suffering, there are difficulties that I'm going through, that I'm anticipating I'll be likely having tomorrow too. The will of the Lord be done. Grant me grace to be submissive, to be content, and to keep my mind on the fact that I belong to my Lord. And may I finish my course with, with joy, laboring in his service. We consider this Lord's Day under the theme, the will of the Lord be done. We consider, first of all, knowing his will. How do we know what his will is? Secondly, desiring to obey his will. Now, when we pray this prayer, we pray this as those who really do desire to obey his will. How serious, how grievous a sin it is if somebody prays this prayer and just mechanically prays the Lord's Prayer and gets to the, you know, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, who is fully intending to continue on in their wickedness. And the judgment of God that would come on anyone that would do that. So we must pray this as those who really desire what we're praying, requesting the grace from God to be submissive to him. So we consider desiring to obey his will. And thirdly, Believing his promise. Believing what God has promised us about how he cares for us and he will be with us and he will provide for us. We consider believing his promise in the third place. The will of the Lord be done, knowing his will, desiring to obey his will, and believing his, his promise. We often mention at this point that this Petition brings out that God is a willing being. He's not an impersonal force. The scripture speaks of the will of God. And when the scriptures speak of the will of God, it speaks of the will of God in more than one sense. There is a distinction that's important to understand when we talk about the will of God. Sometimes people invent distinctions. And we're familiar with that. Like when they talk about two kinds of grace. One kind that's particular, one kind that's common. Or if they talk about two kinds of good works. Spiritually good works and naturally good works. And they make up distinctions that don't really exist. But there are places where distinctions do exist. Where you can show that a term is used in more than one sense. Like the term church is used in more than one sense. It's used in the sense to refer to all the elect, the body of Christ. The term is also used to refer to a church institute, like the church at Corinth. And we use the term that way too. We talk about the elect as the church, and sometimes we talk about the church in that sense. Sometimes we're referring to a specific instituted church by name. 
Well, the idea of the will of God is used in more than one sense, too. It's used in the sense of his decree, what God has decreed, and it's also used in the sense of what God has commanded. Both of those senses are found in the scripture. We're familiar with the phrase, the term used in the sense of what God has determined. What is the will of God? He works all things after the counsel of his own will. God has determined everything that will take place, and he governs and directs all things according to his will. And he accomplishes his purpose. He has determined to save certain people and not others. We speak of election and reprobation. We speak of God's will in that sense. The scriptures also speak of the will of God in the sense of his commands and our calling to do the will of God. The scriptures speak of that, that there are those who do the will of God and there's those that don't. Now that's referring to God's will from the viewpoint of that he has told us what we're to do. He's told us what we're called to do. And we are to do the will of God. We are to obey his will and be submissive to him. So those are the two senses. It's used in both ways. Now God has made known his will in both senses. He's made known his will to us so that we do know it. Now with regard to his secret will, the secret counsel and will of God, there are things that God has told us. There are also secret things. We're familiar with Deuteronomy 29, 29, that makes a distinction between secret things and revealed things. That the revealed things are for us and for our children. But there are also secret things. Well, certainly there are things that God has not told us. There are things that are not revealed to us. And that are not for us to know. And we recognize that. There may be times when we have a desire to know things concerning the future, but we recognize we don't know. It's not for us to know. But God has told us in his word about his will concerning our salvation, the salvation of, an, uh, of his elect people, and also about his will concerning us personally. You can look at it, when you look at God's subject of God's decree, you can look at it from the viewpoint of his will concerning his people. Well, God certainly makes known that he has chosen, unconditionally chosen, a specific people. So we don't say that predestination belongs to the secret things. So we don't talk about predestination. Well, who the elect are by name, I mean, that the Lord knows. But God has told us that he has unconditionally chosen certain people and reprobated others. That is... That is clearly taught in the scripture, so that's revealed. So we, we teach that. That belongs to the revealed things. But he not only 
makes known his will concerning the salvation of his people, but the salvation of us personally, so that we know his will concerning us personally. So that we say faith is not only knowledge, but it's confidence. That not only to others, but to me personally. I know that salvation has been given. That I know that I am righteous in Christ. Not just that others are righteous in Christ, but that I personally. The Spirit works in us faith. God infuses into us a consciousness of his love. Faith, obedience, and a consciousness of his love so that his people know, they know that God loves them and that they belong to Christ. So God's will in that sense is made known to us. God's will in the sense of his command is also made known to us. What are we called to do? Now, that may seem pretty obvious. God's told us in his commands what we're supposed to do. In the commandments, we have God telling us, and we, as we read them today, we know what we're called to do. And throughout the scriptures, we read about God's promise, and we read about our calling so that as what are we to do what are we not to do God has made that known to us what is his will in that sense of what he has commanded well he's told us that and so we apply the principles of scripture to the situations we face as opposed to those that talk as if they have some kind of they receive kind of special revelations from God telling them what they were supposed to do. <laughs> and they say, you know, God, God put a burden in my heart to do this or that, and they somehow just knew that they were to do various things. God told me to just go up to this person, randomly talk to this person, as if somehow they have this kind of a special revelation from God, and then they decide what they're, what they're going to do. How do we know what the will of God? Well, we know from his word. We do apply <laughs> principles. I mean, with regard to witnessing to others, we do look for opportunities to witness to others. And we know God governs and directs all things. And it may be that in the providence of God, we're right next to a person and there's an opportunity for us to talk about things. And we use the opportunity to talk about things God has taught us in his word and we witness but what we're doing then is we're applying principles that God has taught us to a specific situation. From the scriptures, we find out what the will of God is, both concerning what he has decreed and also with regard to what we're called to do. Where some people have spoken about looking at the creation. There's things that we're supposed to do think about and that we look to the creation to teach us about what we're supposed to do because they're not taught here in Scripture. So there are these norms in the creation that we can look out in the creation and find out from the creation what we're supposed to do. Well, God makes known his word concerning what we're to do here. 
And we look here to find out what we are to do. And when we pray in specific situations concerning what we are to do, we pray and we consider the principles that God has taught us. How he's told us to use our gifts to his glory. We may have a decision to make and we think of the gifts that God has given us and how can we use them to his glory and there may be different options and we choose what we think is a, is a good option to follow. Concerning what work we're going to do, maybe decisions concerning where we're going to live, decisions concerning whom we're going to marry. Well, we take the principles of God's word. God has told us to marry in the Lord. So we apply that word and we meet someone of like faith and we see how well we, we get along and we see how we talk about spiritual things together to see how there is communion and fellowship when we talk about spiritual things together. And we're applying the principles of the scripture to something like whom we're to marry, whom our friends are to be, whom we're to walk with, what we're to do in our job, in our occupation. We apply principles of Scripture to specific situations. Not only as individuals, but also as a church. What's the church supposed to do? Where many would direct us to getting involved in political matters, trying to change social, social practices in our, in our government, and seeing social injustice, and that we, that we spend all our efforts trying to correct what is social injustice in society, for example, or concern for the environment. And there's all these stress on things from that point of view. Well, when we, on the one hand, when we're in a situation, if we were called to be on a jury, well, then certainly if we're making a decision, we're going to apply the principles of Scripture to the specific case we're looking at. We're not going to make a judgment based on somebody's race. The question is going to be applying the principles of Scripture to this person regardless of his, of his race. And we would exhort others to do the same. And so we would certainly speak against racism as it's so common and as it's commonly spoken against. But as far as what is, what are, is the church called to do? That we're not told that there's going to be this earthly kind of uh, Christianized kingdom and the nations are going to be Christianized. We're told to preach the gospel and we're told there will be opposition as there was for Paul. And yet we're faithfully to bring the word, faithfully to preach the gospel even in the face of opposition. And God has told us what his will is concerning what the church is to do. We find that in Holy Scripture. What are good works? The Scriptures tell us only, only 
those that proceed from faith and are done according to the script of his commandments, the law of God, and are done to his glory. God has told us in his word what his will is. He has told us in the scriptures about his love for us. He has sent Christ who has died for us, and he calls us to imitate our Lord who laid down his life for us. Not that, our, that we atone for sins, not that we satisfy for our sins. Christ has atoned. Christ has fully satisfied. He has offered the perfect sacrifice. Christ is also an example. And as we see how he willingly went to the cross, and lay down his life for us. In our life, we are to live unto him, even though that means we are going to suffer. In fact, this history that we read certainly it is striking to consider how Jesus was going to Jerusalem knowing he was going to be crucified. And he kept going, and he told his disciples about it, and he kept going. And then we read of this Holy Spirit's work in Paul, a sinful man, the Apostle Paul, who before had been persecuting the church. And we see what God did within him. And now he's going to Jerusalem knowing being told what's ahead, but being confident it's the will of God that he proceed, even though it be that they throw him in prison, even though it be that they afflict him. It's the will of God. And he went forward and kept going, imitating our Lord Jesus, and that's our calling, to obey the will of God. And that's what this petition is about, desiring to obey his will. Now, one question that sometimes comes up is, when we say thy will be done, are we talking about the God's command or his decree? Which one? It certainly is referring to God's command. And the way our Heidelberg explains it, the Heidelberg Catechism explains it, brings that out, and the reference to angels brings that out. It says, grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without a murmuring obey thy will. Now, clearly, that's referring to God's command. We desire to renounce our will and obey God. And then it makes a reference to the angels, that we may attend to and perform the duties, that we may do what God has told us to do, that we may perform the duties of our station and calling as willingly 
and faithfully as the angels do. So that certainly brings out that the answer to that question is that it's referring to his command. Yet there is an application also to the subject of what God has decreed. Once, once we know what that is, we're called to be submissive and to confess this is the will of God. And we often say that something happens in our life. A person has a horrible accident, say, and all of a sudden they're paralyzed from the waist down and they're told that it's well nigh certain that they will never walk again. And then the man and his wife hear that news. And they may go back over what happened and wish they'd, you know, maybe they, if they could have only done this or done that or whatever and try to replay what happened that led to the whatever took place. But again and again, they come back to, this was the will of God. It was the will of God that this happened and that I be like this from now on. And we need to be content in that, knowing that this is the Lord's will. Many are the situations in our life where things can take place that we say it's the, it's the will of God. Now, there are some things that we know that this is it. That, you know, somebody is taken to, gl to, to glory and we must continue on without them. Well, we know they're not coming back. That's for sure. They're not coming back to this life. There are other things that we may be working toward. We desire something to happen. Say somebody's repentance. We keep working towards that desiring that there will be repentance. And we express our desire for that, you know, to God. That that's our desire. Yet we know also with those things that, as hard as that is, that God has spoken to us about his will. And with regard to a specific person, we don't know And in this life, we keep trying to lead that person to repentance. And oh, the joy we have if that person does repent. If they turn, they really turn. And that's our desire. We work towards that. There are many types of situations in our life where we recognize that this is the will of God. And sometimes it's good when somebody, our brother or sister, tells us that. And we're getting down and we're getting discouraged and somebody, sometimes it's good when the brother or sister says, now this is the will of God. It's very sad. It's very difficult. That's true. But you know this is the will of God and he will be with you. He will strengthen you. And we need to be submissive to the will of God. And of course, that applies to God's command. It has to do with things that happen, things that God had determined 
but it also is a reference to what God tells us because he tells us that we are to be submissive, we are to be content, and we are to be thankful to God in whatever our situation may be. We're to give thanks to God. And we look to God for the grace. This petition is a request for grace. Grant that we may do that. We struggle to do that. There are those that pray this prayer is already mentioned. What a grievous sin for somebody that prays a prayer like this just on the surface and just blatantly continues on walking in sin. Week after week, perhaps using God's name in vain, perhaps being dishonest in the workplace, week after week, or perhaps giving into drunkenness, constantly, and intending to do it again, even perhaps talking to others about things that have gone on in a previous weekend and, in, and intending to do the same. And then praying this prayer. Thy will be done. Or perhaps dating somebody that it's been evident that this person is not of like faith. And yet not turning, breaking away from the relationship if the person is not of like faith. But just continuing on in it. Or continuing to commit sins of fornication, whether it be of watching things one ought not to watch, or whether it's a couple that's engaging in these sexual acts. Maybe they're dating. And weekly they're doing things that they know full well they're not supposed to do. And then they pray this prayer. One must repent. One must repent of this sin. When somebody's walking in sin like that, they're calling, repent. Turn from that. Seriousness of going to God, asking a petition like this when one is impenitently walking in sin. We've got to turn from the sin with sorrow and ask for grace. Genuinely turning with genuine sorrow, desiring to turn away from the evil. It's interesting to consider in the different petitions of the Lord's Prayer how these petitions relate to the subject of turning from sin. Last time we had the first petition was about we don't want God's name ever to be blasphemed on our account. We want our thoughts, words, and actions ordered to God's glory. Second petition about being ruled by God's word and spirit. That we may submit ourselves more and more to thee. And then again, the third petition. Now from the viewpoint of renouncing our will. And without murmuring to obey God, that we may perform our duties faithfully and cheerfully. We struggle to do this ourselves. 
should be the case that we aren't impenitently walking in sin, and yet we're all, we're all sinners, and to be submissive to the will of God and to renounce our will to say, I'm not my own, I'm not my own, and to live unto our God. Self-denial. Considering the needs of others. You think of when we read the second table of the law that brings out where to constantly think of the needs of others and to care about others and to show mercy towards others. I'm not my own. So that in my dealings with others, I deal with them as I would want them to deal with me. That I promote my neighbor's advantage that I promote the honor of my neighbor, that I show love to my neighbor, that I'm patient, I'm not my own. I'm to live unto my God. And then in the service of God, all that we have is to be used in his service. And when we have adversities, to bear adversities patiently, to not get down and discouraged and feeling sorry for ourselves, but to bear adversities patiently. Sometimes we could get down and we can get discouraged and we think of things happening in our life that look at things that are happening in other people's lives and we get down and get discouraged. We're to bear adversities patiently. We're not our own. We belong to our Lord. What would we do if our goal was to glorify God? If that's what my mind is on, that I want to glorify God, then what am I going to do? Paul says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. But that's what he confessed. None of these things move me. He said, I'm not willing to be bound only, but to die. I don't count my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Finish his course with joy with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus. Now he was one that was called to be a preacher of the gospel. But each one of us has our station and calling. And that's referred to in this answer. That each one of us may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling. You have a station and calling. You young people, too, have a station and calling. Every one of us. It says every one of us. So that every one of us may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling. Every one of us has a station. Every one of us has a position. Every one of us has work to do. Whether we're a young child studying in the school, we've got work to do or whether we're an old person that right now can't even get out of bed. We've got work to do. We've got a station and calling. 
And we're looking to the grace for the grace to renounce our own will and to submit, to obey God as those who know and confess we're not our own. And we want to glorify our Savior. And we, our mind is directed to the angels. Second time in this prayer that our mind is directed to heaven specifically. Right at the beginning of the prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, lest we have earthly conceptions of his heavenly majesty. Our Father which art in heaven. And we get to the third petition and we say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The angels obey. They're diligent to do what God has called them to do. And we're to look, we're to consider that. We're to consider our Lord, our perfect Lord, and we're told we're to imitate him. We're told that we're to be imitators of our God, who's our Father. And we're to be followers of Christ. And here we're also directed to remember that the angels perform their work willingly and faithfully. Willingly. Faithfully. The angels do in heaven. And we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in in heaven. The grace to deny ourselves, even when that means that we're to suffer. Paul said he was bound. I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. This is an interesting section. Paul knew that he was to go to Jerusalem. And as he went from city to city, there were people that would, there were prophets. We have an example in chapter 21, verse 10. There's this prophet who comes and says, this is chapter 21, verse 10. Prophet came and said, he took Paul's girdle, bound his own hands and feet and said, thus saith the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And Paul said that that was, the Holy Ghost was witnessing in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. One might have thought he would have wanted to think about something else as he's going to Jerusalem. The Holy Ghost was witnessing in every city that when he got to Jerusalem, he was going to be bound, he was going to be afflicted. And the saints were certainly hearing about this, and it gets put in the scriptures, that he hears that. That didn't mean that he wasn't supposed to go. The fact that there would be suffering, the fact that it would be difficult, did not mean 
that it wasn't God's will. Or sometimes when there's difficulty, one thinks, oh, well, there must not be the will of God. Because there's difficulty if we go this way. Wouldn't it be the will of God that there not be suffering? Well, the scriptures speak to us about how it's his will that in this life, many of the afflictions of the righteous. This life is a life that there will be many, much suffering and affliction and trials. And God tells us that. And sometimes we anticipate ahead of time that there's going to be difficulties ahead. In this case, he's told the word of God is brought to us that that's the case. And yet we are asking for the grace of God to remain obedient even when we suffer. Even if it's his will that we lose our life. That we don't count, that we don't, as Paul says here, I count not my life dear unto myself. I'm not my own. I'm willing not only bound, <coughs> I'm willing to die. Suffering for Christ's sake at the hands of those that oppose, willingly taking up our cross, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following our Savior, believing, believing the promise of God. Paul, by the grace of God, believed. He believed the promise of God. God would be with him. Even if he died, he would go to glory. It was his will, and the Lord, and eventually it would be the will that Paul died. And until that point, Paul would continue to live. And he would be in prison for some while, and he would eventually get to Rome. So it was for a while, he would continue to live. God's will will be done. And God will give us strength as we continue to look to him for the grace that we need, believing his promise. Who will harm you if you submit to the will of God? As it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 13, who's going to harm you? What shall I fear? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what, we, that's what we confess. That's what we sing. God will give us joy. Paul said that he said, I count my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. One might have thought, this doesn't sound like do you know this is ahead of you? And you have joy? We do have joy. God gives us joy. Those that come to God and are asking for forgiveness, 
for their sins, looking to God for grace to continue fighting. God gives us peace. God gives us joy. We desire to finish our course with joy as those that have a good conscience who are laboring in the service of our God. And as we read the word, we pray for the grace to do. I think it's like studying the scriptures. And as we read, and today is a day that often we're reading in our, the Bible. Well, wherever we read, we hear about the will of God. We hear about the will of God concerning our salvation. We read about the will of God concerning what we're to do and what we're not to do. And we read and we pray. Requesting the grace to do what we just read. To be faithful. To do, perform our work faithfully. To perform it cheerfully. Thankful for our salvation. Strength to remain faithful even if we're going to suffer or anticipate that there's going to be suffering coming. We look to God for the grace to pray this. To pray this meaning this. To pray this with our mind attentive to what we're saying. So that we say this not mechanically. Without even paying attention. But we pray it from the heart. Grant, not just me, but grant that we. Praying for the people of God. Grant that we and all men may renounce our own will. And without murmuring, no complaining. Grant me the grace to do that without murmuring. Content to obey thy will and confessing which is only good. To obey thy will which is good, only good. Grant that grace to us. Believing God's promise, he'll hear our prayer. He'll grant what we request for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, our Redeemer, may we pray this prayer, be submissive to him, and remember we're not our own. May we live to his honor. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, we are so thankful for our salvation. May thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, grant us that grace to follow our Lord and Savior and to be submissive and obedient even unto death. Lord, grant that grace to us. Grant that grace to our children. Grant this to us, and may we together praise and exalt thy holy name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.